everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I have a real treat for you guys. This is sort of becoming a little bit of a pattern. I've had a couple of podcasters on who are dual podcasters, and so it's sort of three of us going on, and this is kind of fun. I like it. As I love the energy. We have uh, the guys from Just Some Podcast for nurse pra- advanced nurse practitioners on this week, and that is Ben and Tom. Hello, Ben and Tom. How are you guys doing this evening? Hey, we're good. How are you? So you guys, um, if you haven't ever heard of their um, podcast, if you're interested at all in being a nurse practitioner, I mean, there's nurse, a lot of nursing students, a lot of new grads that listen to this podcast, uh, but obviously just nurses in general. So if you're interested in anything like, tell them a little bit before we get into talking, we've got a really doozy of a, a bad nurse story. It's actually a doctor, of course, but, and then a, an amazing, wonderful, uplifting, good doctor story to talk about. But before, just real briefly, tell them a little bit about Just Some Podcast for events, nurse practitioners that you guys do. Oh, I am doing so. Swell, yeah, ma'am. we're just on podcast, um, and we, like Tina said, we are kind of directed for advanced practitioners, and so you know, nurse practitioners and PAs or physician assistants. But uh, we've gotten a large uh, following of non-medical and, of course, nursing as well. Um, we've been doing this for a couple of years. We kind of just cover topics, and we do it more of a conversational but educational type format. So it's just a conversation like you'd have in the break room, but you're still coming away with some education. Um, and then we recently got approved for continuing education. So we'll hopefully be rolling that out here in the, the next month or so. That's interesting. So how will that work for people to be able to get a continuing education uh, credit for like listening to your, an episode of your podcast? Or how, is that, how will that work? Yeah, so there'll be certain episodes that we designate as uh, what we feel would be a continuing education. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to go to our website, justonpodcast.com, and they'll sign up there. And once they sign up, then that uh, opens up the entire library for for the courses that we've designated as continuing education and listed as independent study through the Kansas State Board of Nursing. But um, most of them are going to be about an hour. So you, know, you can get quite a bit of CNE built up just listening to our show. Well, that's interesting, you guys, because for you guys that are listening, these two are hilarious. I've been talking to them for about 40 minutes before we even started just because they're so much fun to just, just to sit and talk to. So if you're interested in that, if you want to get some CNEs and actually just kind of listen to two guys just chat and kind of entertain you, you should go on their website and just see what that's all about. I guess that sounds like fun to me. It's a lot better than just listening to somebody drone on and on on a PowerPoint. Well, and that's exactly, that's exactly how this all evolved was we wanted to have a good time and talk, but not be death by PowerPoint. So yeah, we want you to learn about, you know, diet medications. So how did you do that? You know, so we kind of just wanted to make something as fun as possible. And we do bring on respiratory therapists. We've had medical technology. I mean, we've had all sorts of different people. So we are centered around healthcare and we do try and aim for advanced practice, but you know, registered nurses, nursing students, non-healthcare, everybody can learn something, hopefully, mostly by me, if they listen to me. But if they listen to us, you know, in general, they should learn something. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I'll remember that. Okay. Well, you guys, we definitely, as as promised, we have a really good bad doctor story to tell you about this week. It's, It's actually an old Forensic Files episode that I saw a long time ago. And this happens to me a lot. If you believe it or not, there are times when 
I think I've done a story on our show and I haven't. I don't even know how that's possible, but it it happens to me all the time because I think what happens is I will watch a show like The Forensic Files. I mean, it's no secret. <laughs> I watch true crime all the time. <laughs> so I come say. across, no. <laughs> so I come across these all the time and I'm just like, oh, I'll do that story. And then somehow in my my mind, I think I did. And I don't know how I somehow thought I did the story and I didn't do it. But it is a fascinating story. It's definitely, um, oh gosh, it's a cautionary tale for sure for a lot of people that think you you will learn a lot from it. But at the same time, I do want to kind of give a bit of a trigger warning because it does include some domestic violence. There is, you know, we, we talk a lot about HIV and just, there. there's just some very disturbing material in this one, even though I do think it's educational and it's it's appropriate for sure to talk about it and it's important to talk about it. Just be aware, there could be some, definitely some some disturbing content in it. So we, having said all that, we gave you plenty of, of opportunities to jump ship if you wanted to. We're going to no, be we're talking. Glad you're still here. I'm glad you're still here. Of course yeah. we are. Absolutely. And I'm not at all surprised that you guys are still here because I know you and you, I'm watching your my analytics every week. I always look at them and I'm just like, I see you guys just listening to the bad nurse story and then jumping ship. I see it. <laughs> I'm just like, now listen here. I'm going <laughs> to, you guys need to be listening to the good nurse story as well. That is uplifting and encouraging. You need to, you need to have that part too. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. So this is the story of Dr. Richard Schmidt. So just to sort of give you a little bit of background, the AIDS crisis is something that's oftentimes downplayed or even overlooked entirely. It's something that was a big deal, of course, in the 80s. And over time, over the past decade or so, it's become something that's been manageable by medication. And a lot of times we don't see these patients in the hospital until it's a, a situation where maybe they weren't being compliant with their medication, unfortunately. And it's the saddest thing in the world to me to see these patients in there that I know they they could have been okay had they just been compliant with their medication. And for one, whatever reason, they just were not. And it's so sad to see them progress to the point that they are in full-blown AIDS. And there's just, at that point, not a whole lot that you can do because it's just gotten so out of control or they, you know, that's what brought them into the hospital and and the the reason that they're in the ICU to begin with. But even today, there are about 1.2 million people that are living with HIV in the United States. There is still not a cure, but we definitely have made huge strides toward finding effective treatments. There's no doubt about that. And we've done some stories on this podcast over the past couple of years about different situations that involved HIV patients and nurses caring for HIV patients and AIDS patients. So we've talked about this before, you know, and I think maybe a few years ago, we even did a story about a baby that was born that was HIV positive and then after treatment at some point was not HIV positive. Like there was, it was very exciting because it was like, whoa, this person literally was HIV positive and then, and then they weren't. So definitely have made some huge strides. So definitely therapy can dramatically slow down the progress, significantly prolong life. Um, if taken early enough and being regular, you have to be compliant with these medications. 
So although a form of this treatment had been used since the 1960s, an easy-to-use form would not be ready, readily available or proven until the mid-late 90s. Mid to late 90s. So prior to ART becoming standard treatment for HIV and AIDS, it was pretty much a death sentence. And that's the thing. That's kind of where we are. If you, you have to understand that this story did take place at that time. This is an older story. Forensic Files is, I, I think there's a kind of more of a later version of it that's come out recently. But mo- for the most part, they're set in like, what, the 80s? The stories are like from the 80s, 90s. So they, if, you're, if these stories are coming from a Forensic Files, they probably are from a little bit back in the day. So it's, that's the sad thing. It's funny for me to hear you say back in the day, because I'm thinking 1994 mm-hmm. feels like six years ago. Wasn't that just yeah, yesterday? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, pretty much. when you keep saying back in the day, I'm like, who's she talking to? Like, <laughs> I don't know who who was not cool back in 1994. So I'm th- I'm thinking everybody was cool in 1994. That was a real, yeah. the 90s were awesome. Yeah. I I would be totally okay if we reset the clock back to... Uh, the music yes. is amazing. 90s music is awesome. So, yeah, I have nothing against 90s. The 90s, they were amazing. They were a little bit... But if you if you stop and think about the fact that this is 2021, Ugh. it was a yeah. while ago. Yeah. And it was. Which is crazy to think about, but yeah, it really is. It's, it's crazy. So, Dr. Richard Schmidt was well aware, of course of the major health crisis and all that, uh, all of its intricacies. And um, he had many patients who had contracted HIV. And so he understood this. Back then, it was scary. People didn't want to use public bathrooms. People were afraid to be in the same room with someone diagnosed with HIV or that, that, that just had HIV. Not, not full-blown AIDS, just had the virus. There there were stories of children going to school and for there there were ch- there are children who have HIV because they were born to parent uh, uh, you know a mother that had HIV or they got it from a blood transfusion there there are reasons this happens. And parents would find out that there's a child at the school that's HIV positive and they would lose their minds over this because oh I don't want my child Going to school with a with a, I just can't even imagine this, you guys. I mean, the ignorance is so frustrating, but I guess it was just scary for people. Yeah, I think it was just so unknown, mm-hmm. and and that was the fear of it. And so, uh, you know, I think they're they were trying to rationalize that with, well, I want to be overly cautious and kind of go, you know, from normal consciousness to like putting them in a bubble to protect them from this virus, even though, you know, as we've learned over time, there's very select few ways that you can catch it versus sharing it at a lunchroom table with, with someone. Right. And, and that's some of the stuff in doing more research for stuff on the show. And they're talking about HIV in the mid nineties, late eighties is that even though medical professionals were telling people, you know, we don't know everything, but you, you can only get it from like, direct blood, you know, transfusion, contact, IV, you know, drug use, etc. People almost refused to listen to a healthcare mm-hmm. professional. Wait a second. That's not sounding too far off. Oh, is that sounding a little familiar now, to you? Wait a hmm. second. Now that I say that, that out loud, like? hmm, it's crazy. But no matter what, no matter what they were doing, 
it just, you know, because this doctor was a gastroenterologist, you know, so I mean, he was like, hey, and that plays part in something later in the story, but, mm-hmm. you know, it all kind of comes together. He was helping treat people with HIV, him and uh, this pulmonologist I found in one of the other stories. And they kept telling people, no, you know, because that actually plays part of the case. They're like, no, you can't just randomly get it. And yet people were pulling children out of school. Like it, the, yeah. the children didn't even have to be in the same classroom. If the child with HIV was in the school, there were parents that were so freaked out, you know, because while it didn't happen to me directly, I was at that age. I was still, you know, in school. I was like, I remember mm-hmm. people freaking out. I'm like, oh God, is this... Is this something I need to be worried about? Mom, dad, are you on this? Like, what's going on? Of course, my parents were old school. They'd probably be like, why are you talking? I'm like, okay, cool. Just just move forward. They're like, I didn't ask you to do anything. Like, oh, okay. Children should be seen, not heard. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, now that I have some, you know, okay, that's cool. (laughs) It sounds great to me. (laughs) Like this, I, we, yeah, that it's a good plan. I, I apologize to my parents profusely all the time. So. Well, this Richard and Janice, that Richard, of course, is the doctor. Janice is a nurse who worked in the same facility where he worked, and they met right after she completed nursing school in the early 80s, and they became really good friends. They were working together at the hospital there in Louisiana, and then after a while, their professional relationship turned maybe into a little something more romantic. But there was a problem. Both Janice and Richard were married, and both of them had children with their respective spouses. And so after their affair developed into a more serious relationship, they told each other that they were going to divorce their spouses. So Janice actually followed through with this and divorced her spouse, but Richard did not. So Basically, this is the start of all of their relationship problems. I would say that their relationship problems started when they developed a relationship when both of them were already married. But my, I mean, that's Fair just enough. me. I'm a little old-fashioned. It's the original grace. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it was like real life. That was before we had reality TV. <laughs> but that is that not the stuff of reality reality TV right there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, it's the, you know, the doctor and the nurse. Mm-hmm. And she falls for him, which is the cliche yes. that you hear so frequently mm-hmm. with why are you going to nursing school to marry a doctor? Right. Uh, so, I mean, it just plays right into that. I always say stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason because there are those, they, they, they tend to happen, but we don't want to paint everyone with the same broad brush and act like all nurses do this sort of thing. That's where I have a problem with it is when we, we decide to just assume everyone is like that. I can't deny that it happens. So in 1991, the couple had a child. And uh, I I don't think that you should ever be surprised uh, when you become pregnant if you've been having sex with someone else. I mean, you you can't, there is no, yeah, there's just not a contraception out there that is 100%. So just throwing out a nurse and a doctor probably should not have been surprised at all mm-hmm. <laughs> about, been. about this process. I'm just throwing and it out. And yet. And yet, <laughs> right. here we are. There we are. It became clear that Richard would never leave his wife. Janice is just like, you know, I'm kind of starting to think that you're not going to leave your wife. We've had a child together. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, mm. she yeah, tr- I mean, that's a sign. The bad thing is, right. Yeah. I mean, if, if you've had a child together and he's still with his wife, I think you probably, uh, it's not going to happen. 
So she tried repeatedly to break things off. And every time he would threaten her, and this is so frustrating to me because I'm just like, why are you so controlling that up until this point, I guess I kind of get it. Whatever's going on is going on. And between among your respective families or your relationships or whatever. But if she gets to a point that she's like, okay, this is not where I want to live. This is not how I want my life to be. Why on earth do you have to control her when you're not even willing to leave your own wife, but you are, you're going to threaten her because she's not willing to stay in the situation? It just drives me crazy. I don't, I don't get it. Well, and I think the type of person that wouldn't be like that, we wouldn't be doing a story about. You know, True. I mean, well, I mean, not to be like overly obvious, but I like, he's obviously no, a true. jerk. Yeah. I mean, yes. I know I said it pre-production, but every time I see this guy's picture, I'm like, man, he needs a good face punching. Like, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. Just look at this guy. He does. Mm-hmm. He just got that yep. look. He needs hit hard right about there. So. I agree. I agree. And Janice, so here she is. She's trying to break things off. She's trying to be discreet about it. She doesn't want to lose her job. You know, she she her whole life is is kind of wrapped up in in this hospital with this job, and so despite the threats, she eventually managed to end the relationship in mid nineteen ninety four. But Richard is still treating her because he had been sort of acting as her primary care physician and had been giving her vitamin B twelve injections because she had been having some lethargy. And so he's he's giving her these vitamin B twelve injections to help her have more energy. So even See, that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's where I, that's where I start having an issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say there's not issues elsewhere, but <laughs> if you don't trust him to be in a relationship with him, and you're trying to break things off, Janice, Janice, Janice. I mean, not that I'm not victim blaming by any means. No, but. You, he should not be your primary healthcare provider. You shouldn't be seeing him for healthcare in general. Yeah. And I think that it's just, again, it's a cautionary tale. It's a it's something that our listeners can listen to and kind of, if if you're ever in this situation, you know, you, if you're going to cut ties, cut ties. You know, if, if this happens to you, you find yourself in a situation where the person, you're, everything is sort of scrambled together, you know, scrambled egg situation where the your boyfriend is your primary care doctor, is your coworker, and it's all just kind of, yeah. if you're going to cut ties, cut ties. It just gets way too ugly, you know? Just cut ties. Yep. So on the evening of August 4th in 1994, he called Janice and insisted on giving her another treatment. So she agreed. Thinking that, okay, I'm going to let you come over and we'll do the vitamin B12 injection. That's no big deal. And maybe we can talk things over and kind of smooth things out and we can move forward. Because, I mean, you have to remember they did have a child together. So she's, I'm sure, wanting to keep things amicable and on a good, in a good place. Yeah. And to be a a good, decent, you know, parent. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. you may not be directly in our lives, but he's still the father of the child. I mean, I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, instead, he showed up and injected her and then left immediately. And she felt like he was acting very strangely, like he was rushed, very much out of character for the way he normally would have acted. 
She also said that her arm hurt more than it ever had with her previous injections. But and it, yeah. I, was say, I think if your ex-boyfriend is calling you, mm-hmm. insisting that he needs to give you an injection tonight, mm-hmm. perhaps you should question that slightly. But do any of us ever really think somebody's going to do something like this? I always feel like we always think that this is not going to happen to us. That's like, Which is true. And yeah. in hindsight, it's 2020. And mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we're looking at it through different eyes. Yes. But I don't know. It just seems weird to me that mm-hmm. being in primary care, it just seems weird to me that I wouldn't call a patient. That you were and, dating? And say, I, I, well, and <laughs> you know, like, I need to give you the shot tonight. Like it has to be done tonight, which <laughs> I mean, of course, ties into the story because it only lasts for a certain amount of time, but mm-hmm. it just, it seems weird. I think there should, I mean, I, I'm sure in her mind, it probably did raise flags, but she was trying to be the, the adult and the amicable, mm-hmm. you know, co-parent. And but it just, uh, it, it, that's concerning. And I'm sure that she probably, maybe she did think he acted strangely, but you know how, like someone might be acting strangely, but you don't notice it. Until yeah. something else happens. And then it makes yeah. you look back and and think, you know what? I never thought anything of it before. But now that you mention it, you know, kind of, I feel like that might be what happened because that happened. And then after some time went by, she started having more health issues. She visited her, her new doctor. And by this time, of course, she had, had switched and um, a blood test later showed that she was diagnosed with HIV and hepatitis C. Mm-hmm. In addition to being told she was pregnant, so she did have she did choose to terminate the pregnancy because at the time treatment was very you know it was still precarious. She was not sure uh, if she or the baby would live. This was all. It was a death sentence. At, yeah, the, at the time, you know, I mean, it's not a good, it's not by any means a good diagnosis today. I don't mean to sound like this is just, oh, we've got a cure. It's all fixed. I don't mean that. It's just that at that time, it was a death sentence. I mean, it was, it was the end of the road. It was just, it wasn't a matter of if, but when, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So when she thought about where she possibly could have contacted, because I, it didn't automatically, she, it's not like she you know, she's feeling bad and she goes to the doctor and they do some blood work and they're just like, you're HIV positive and hep C positive and you're pregnant. You know, she didn't just immediately say, oh, oh, I know what happened. So when she thought right. about and, it, I, I don't yeah. think you would have. I mean, especially with, you know, in, in the nineties or even now, I mean, if mm-hmm. you ever come back HIV positive, I mean, you obviously know the ways that we can contract that, but you don't know if it was you know, for someone who may have multiple partners, you don't know if it's partner one or partner two or And who in the world would think that someone could even get their hands on this? On Yeah. Well, especially then. They have the ability to do it. Yeah. Especially then, I don't think anybody would have thought, oh, this guy's got access to HIV and hepatitis mm-hmm. C. And but she did start thinking about that. Right. She did start kind of thinking about it, you know, and thinking, well... There was that one strange night where this happened and she decided to take it that matter to the police and have them investigate it further. And at first, they were skeptical. I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. Sometimes I get frustrated with police because they <laughs> they kind of poo-poo things, especially when it comes, I feel like when it comes to women complaining about things, they're just like, yeah, you're just another, you know. <laughs> Sometimes they're just like, I've read enough of these stories over the past three years that trust me, I am so over it sometimes when it comes to the criminal criminal justice system and women because 
how many times I have done a story where a woman went to the police to try to get help and nothing was done and then she ended up murdered. I'm so Mm. over it. I can't even with it anymore. But in this case, I got to say, I I don't blame them at all for being skeptical. You know, it does sound, it sounds so far-fetched. Well, I mean, put yourself in the detective spot on this one, Mm -hmm. okay? And I guess full disclosure, we'll just get this out of the way, way up front. I used to be a police officer before I was a nurse. Uh So so I was like, wow, yeah, no, Tom sucks. That's great. So (laughs) now that we all know Tom sucks. Now now we all are aware. (laughs) So, I mean, sitting back from an investigative point of view, so there's HIV, which any nobody really knows anything about, or they're just now starting to know stuff about. A ex-girlfriend comes and says, I got HIV, and I think this well-respected ex-boyfriend of mine is the one that gave it to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are some pretty far leaps in logic to start with. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't do their job. Clearly, they did. But you got you to gotta admit, at the very first start, this does not sound like a good beginning. To, right. to a to a crime case. And what I loved about this, my husband, as we were watching this, he said, you know, I love this because they were skeptical, skeptical, and they they had no problem admitting that they were skeptical and saying, uh, we thought she was crazy pretty much. But guess what? They did their job anyway, which is what they should have done. And they they went and they, they not only did their job, but they did it very thoroughly because he, there was a folder with, or it was a notebook, I guess, like a, almost like a ledger. That yeah, he called was, them his jot books. Yes. Yeah. And there was just one uh, particular month that where these particular patients um, were, you know, were logged. And that particular ledger was completely missing. That date range was gone. So, uh, Which yeah. probably raises an ire of uh-huh. suspicion. <laughs> Particularly, yep. you know, if you go back and you're like, hmm, we have all these intricate records and then... You can't find These one. particular ones are missing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, mm, something's not right. Yeah. The files from August 1994 were not where they were supposed to be. And of course, they were hidden like uh, in some impossible place. <laughs> I'm sure what the doctor thought was an impossible place for them to find, but they found it. And the records show that there were two patients in that month that had uh, missing blood samples. And the thing is, HIV does not live very long outside the body. So he knew that if he was going to try to extract some of this blood sample that had, you know, that had HIV in it, active HIV in it, that he only had a certain window of time because it would die in the vial. So they knew, okay, if she was, if she was, you know, if she contracted AIDS during this time period, then it has to be, you know, at some point around this time period. And then just so happens around that time period is where the file is missing. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 And if I remember right, I read when they did find them because they got a search warrant for his office and everything. They found it in a place that was not anything related to patients or blood types mm-hmm. or, you know, like anything about blood work. So like, so your two notebooks <laughs> that we've been looking for that you didn't know where they were just happened to be... Mm-hmm. Over here, <laughs> okay, right. like yeah, in, in the folder labeled gas. Bills. Yes, yes Labor, don't labeled. Was... Don't read me. Not blood sample books. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. Don't like. Don't look here, cops. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, okay, nothing. Nothing suspicious. to see here. Yeah. Keep moving right along. No need to look here in your search. Yeah. So, one of those patients was not just HIV positive. He had actually developed AIDS. 
The other patient was positive for hep C, which she, and to me, I've, I've told people this before. I've told my husband this before. I'd rather be diagnosed with HIV. I would rather be HIV positive than hep C positive any day. Just because I have seen both, I've taken care of both patients. And now full-blown AIDS patient, that's different, obviously. But as far as just the two is and their prognosis, you know, HIV positive, taking your medications like you're supposed to versus hep C and the, the all the stuff that can come along with that later on. Although there are some really, they're, they're making some big strides in that too recently in just the past year or two, which is good. Um, yeah, depending on the type of genotype that mm-hmm. hep C is, then there is some form of treatment that can actually cure yeah. it. So. But it's an awful yeah. diagnosis. It's just terrible. Oh, absolutely. And for her to have both of them, talk about a death sentence. I mean, it's it's scary. And she's a nurse and she knows it. She yeah. knows what she's facing. So the police were then faced with proving that this evidence was not just circumstantial, which I'm just like, well, <laughs> put me on the jury, you know? I'm just, <laughs> gosh. So in a move that had never been done in the U.S. before, they sent a sample of the blood from both HIV, the HIV patient and Janice to a lab to be analyzed. And then an experiment proved that there that the two were highly likely to be linked. So there was a one in a million chance that they were not linked. So they they sort of linked through DNA, I guess, the virus that was in her body and the virus that was from the HIV patient. Does that make sense? Yeah. So and, and they're like, oh, one in a million chance that they did not come from the same source. So again, just having done a little more research into some of the stuff uh, on these people. So these mm-hmm. HIV strains, much like what we're seeing today with COVID-19, and you're seeing the UK variant and South African variant, et cetera, there are strains. And so what they were basically able to do is they were able to say, this dude has a specific strain that she just so happens to have. And mm-hmm. so that's how they were able to basically fingerprint it. So it wasn't a direct DNA to DNA. It was more of a, hey, this guy's got this extreme variant that's not anywhere else. Like it's only in this, you know, Louisiana, Texas area. So that kind of threw out some of the defense's motions that she must have got it from someone else when they were like, no, it came from his patient. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And and to think, okay, we not only do we have that. But we have all this other circumstantial evidence, you know, the strange behavior, you know, the fact that the the missing file, you know, was for the exact time frame where this, you know, it's there's a lot of evidence that added up to Dr. Richard Schmidt was <laughs> maybe um, not quite on the up and up, and so he was arrested and charged with attempted murder in 1996. The evidence quickly convinced a jury and Richard was sentenced to 50 years hard labor, which I was just like, what? Are we in Texas? What state are we in here? (laughs) Hard labor. I guess this is Louisiana. Louisiana still has that as part of their sentencing guidelines. Do they still to this day in 2021? Now, that part I wasn't able to see because I was looking up differences between types of murder charges for because each state's a little different. So I was Mm -hmm. looking up Louisiana and... As far as I can tell, yes, it still is hard wow. labor is part mm. of the sentencing guideline or wow. for prisoners in Louisiana. So that, hey, 
you know what? If you're going to inject somebody with a deadly virus, I, yeah, give it to them. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's see him do some hard labor. I have no problem with it. No, no. Just, I learned not, you know, today I learned not to uh, murder anyone in Louisiana. Well, yeah. As a general rule, I try not to murder anybody anywhere, but try well, not I mean, you know, Ben, just, yeah. you got your, you got your whole guideline. So there you go. <laughs> Don't do it in Tennessee by Miss Tina. She'll catch you. Don't do it in Louisiana so I don't get punished. So there you go. (laughs) This is all true, you guys. So he was sentenced to 50 years hard labor for second degree murder. That's interesting. Not sure why. Why second degree? So that's what I was trying to figure out. By the way, technically, from what I can see from charging documents, it's not even second degree murder. He was actually charged with attempted second degree murder. That's the actual well, technical charge. And I guess we didn't say this, but she didn't die. No, nope, she she's is still alive st- to this day. Still not dead. And I think that's such a victory for her and amazing. What a, I mean, it's miraculous. It's un- unbelievable. It, I'm so thankful for that. It is because like you said, you know, look where we were at and HIV and hepatitis C were both almost certainly to be fatal, but she was able to make it till now. So, hey, kudos to her. But basically, the only thing I can find, and I've read through some summaries from courts, I think this came down to she didn't actually die because there's no way that they could argue it wasn't premeditated. You know, so a lot of times for people that are listening, first degree versus second degree comes down to premeditation or the act of time. Okay. So if I plan on your death and I get a patient with HIV and I do all the stuff over a course of months, that takes time. And so you can no longer argue that there was an involvement in the act of killing somebody. So that would definitely make it a first had she died. What I think for second degree murder, one of the other elements is time. Like, let's say you come home and you caught your husband sleeping with another woman and you murder them. Well, you knew you were going to murder them. But you didn't, it wasn't like, hey, I had three months to plan out their murder. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. you did it right then. So sometimes that can become a, another defining factor. I I Mm -hmm. don't know. And I never read a definitive like um, summation from the prosecutors. I would have to assume that she didn't die, but he clearly knew what he was doing. So that's why they went with the second degree murder. Because I think if she had died right away, like this would have been a slam dunk, first degree capital murder. Louisiana would be doing a lot more than hard labor to this dude. But (laughs) she didn't. So the prosecutors are like, so let me get this straight. He killed her, but 30 years from now. They probably had to come up with something that they thought they could prosecute and win. Which, Which again, I know is not always something great that neither the prosecutors want, nor the police, nor the people listening to this. I, I Sometimes, though, mm-hmm. the prosecution is just in a crappy... Like, we know what he did was wrong, but there's no dead body. So... Yeah, uh, you, have, you do have <laughs> to... So That's I, true. So you have to do what you have to do with what you mm-hmm. have. But I, I think, based on all those criteria, that's kind of where they landed, was like, okay, he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He knew it was... It's, if it does kill her, it's going to... But it's not like he hasn't. So they mm-hmm. they probably felt like they couldn't get a first degree conviction because it's certainly premeditated. Like you can't. And he argue was sentenced that. to fifty years. So I mean, yeah, not no. like he was gonna. Though he is eligible for parole in twenty twenty three. Which, by the way, that just makes me so mad because 
I because that's not fifty years. I just <laughs> that would be my first. But, yeah. but it never is. It's a, that's how it tends to work because he's eligible for good behavior. He's somehow managed to get himself into tr- in trouble, you know, and while he's in prison. But even though he attempted to kill someone, and pro- you know whether or not that is what she dies of or not. I mean, clearly he wanted her to die. So. Yeah. It's something I've never been able to understand with story after story after story that we do on this podcast where someone clearly wanted, their objective was for the other person to die, yeah. but they just are bad at killing someone. So you don't get, I, I, I don't understand it. I, I never will understand it. And ma'am, I, I don't know that there's ever going to be a great answer. Unfortunately, that's just kind of where this is. Though, yeah, you know, I guess the only solace to take away from this is even if it hasn't been 50 years, mm-hmm. you know, he was past his prime in 94. Right. So while this wasn't a full 50 years and it wasn't a death sentence, it was a life mm-hmm. sentence. Like when he comes yeah. out of jail, he will not, there's no quality of life that he can ascertain that's anywhere that he would want. So, right. I mean, it's not the best answer, but it is an answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. She was actually fortunate enough to go under to undergo ART and she did remarry and she treats every day as a gift uh, according to some articles and interviews that I've seen from her. So she seems like a very she seems like a wonderful person and it's really amazing uh to see someone sitting there in an interview and kind of poised and uh sort of handle herself the way that she had, you know, in these interviews, just sort of like, I just take every, like, almost unbothered by it. And I and I understand she's in an interview, but still just to have that attitude of like, well, whatever life brings and she's just making the most of every day and, and that sort of thing. I think that's wonderful and amazing. And we can all learn from that, really. I can learn that she's a much better person than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throw it out there, man. I don't, I don't know what I would do in that case, but I would hope and pray that I could be as gracious as her. But I also know I wouldn't be. So, yeah, I don't think I would be. I I would be petty. (laughs) I'd be so petty. Oh, yeah. No, you'd be doing a a bad doctor's story about me. Are you kidding? Bad nurse story about me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) would it be good? Would it that would it technically fall under good like Tom? But then he got revenge. I don't know. It would be a mm-hmm. weird conundrum of a good nurse and a bad nurse story <laughs> yes. in the same story episode. <laughs> That's it. I have a goal now. Somehow I'm gonna be the both the good and bad nurse. That's what I want. <laughs> it started off good, but Tom ruined it. Way to go, Tom. <laughs> Perfect episode. <laughs> Well, I guess we can talk about our good doctor story. I'm excited about this. And it's actually, I, I'm, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit because really I want to talk about the little boy that this <laughs> that the story is about. There are doctors involved. And I think that the doctors who are involved in this story would probably minimize their involvement in it, really. I mean, and in fact, they have in some of the articles I've read. But I, I love the fact that I can tell the story because this little boy, his name is Bridger Walker, and he is amazing. What a hero. He, he, all the talk of heroes this past year, I just want to vomit. I'm just over it. 
this little boy is truly the definition of a hero, and I am so incredibly proud of him. So this story is about a uh, couple of dermatologists from New York City who heard about a little boy, this story where this little boy saved his sister. And when I say saved his sister, they were playing in a backyard and there was a German shepherd who lunged at his sister. He is six years old. Bridger Walker is six years old and his uh, little sister is like three. She's little. Four. 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 So younger than him. And just, and it's, it's his sister. It's his little sister. And when the dog goes to lunge for her, he pushes her out of the way, jumps in between them, tells her to run, and the dog bites his face, mauls his face. He has like 90-something stitches, and his dad uh, later on asked him like, you know, buddy, why did you do that? You know, what what were you thinking? And And he legitimately, and without even thinking, just like, kind of like not even questioning well if if one of us was going to die I, I would just rather it be me and he was serious oh, I, oh, I cut <laughs> onions I mean he's that's just six he's six it pulls on the heartstrings right yeah. there yeah yeah I, I can't lie the first time I read this and I'm kind of like doing that deep breathe right now because mm-hmm. I have an eight-year-old son and oh. I'm just like and I have two sisters, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm just like, like got to clear my throat, put the, put the zoom on uh, mute for a minute. (laughs) Pardon me. I got to take a break. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I do. When I watched, I I watched this over and over again last week and I did not even think about doing it as like a good nurse or a bad or a good a good doctor story or anything. I didn't even think about that. I was just watching the video and just obsessed with it. Because when this happened, of course, this adorable little boy is a precious soul of a person is in the hospital. He's having to undergo all of these surgeries. It's just a horrible traumatic event that he went through. His aunt, of course, his entire family is just in awe of him and his bravery and courage and should be. And And his aunt goes on social media because she's so incredibly proud of him. And she post made a post and just said, you know, if Captain America, Iron Man, you know, the people, the, the actors who play these hero superheroes on and movies, if you see this, please, could you reach out to him because you could be such an encouragement to him. And, you know, um, I think that she just saw that as an opportunity. Like, if anybody's a hero, if anyone deserves this, it's Bridger. And they saw it. And so Captain America reached out, did a little FaceTime kind of thing, Zoom sort of call with him, sent him a shield, like an actual legitimate Captain America shield. Iron Man, What's his name? Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr., yeah. Yep. He reached out to him. Apparently, there's some big surprise. And I have, did you guys see what the surprise is? Because I never, I don't know if it's come up yet or not. You know, and honestly, having seen some of the things with Robert Downey Jr., he may have already done it and just didn't make it public. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I've seen several of these guys do stuff like that. No, I, I didn't see, but I saw the ex- ooh, professional hitting the table while you're doing this. But I did see the the exact same quote like we're going to do something for him and make it worth his while 
And yeah. I don't know a lot, but I know when the entire cast of the biggest movie in the world at the time says, hey, we're going to do something cool. I bet it's pretty damn cool. So, yeah, <laughs> like, I'm sure. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be cool. Whatever it is, it's going to be amazing. He basically promised him like, what you are going to be blown away for your birthday. It's going to be the biggest surprise you can't even imagine. And then Tom Holland from Spider-Man, he said that he was going to get to come to the set, I think, for when, either the set for Spider-Man 3 or come to the premiere. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, did you guys see that? Yeah, that's what I'm looking. I have some of the articles pulled up, but mm-hmm. I don't see exactly where it says that. So basically, all the superheroes did exactly what the Avengers, you know, did exactly what she was hoping, and they they reached out to him. Of course, it's going to tug on their heartstrings as well. They're human beings; <laughs> they're just people, and they saw it and were just like, "Yep." If there ever was a superhero, Little Bridger Walker is is one. He is definitely one, and I, I'm I'm so impressed and proud of him. And to me, he's like the good hero story. Uh, he's not a medical professional yet, but I bet one day he will be. Something just tells me he probably will be. But uh, after all this happened, there were a couple of dermatologists in New York City who were you know, reading the story just like everyone else and seeing this. And they saw where the treatments that he was undergoing was not maybe the most advanced, you know, in the latest in technology or in, I don't know, whatever treatments. And so they kind of reached out to the the dermatologists that that were caring for him in Wyoming. And they were like, hey, we could collaborate together and maybe offer uh, some treatments that would heal him faster. So instead of him taking years for him to heal and the scars to kind of, you know, go away, it it would be a lot shorter. So I think that's a pretty amazing. It is. And honestly, one of the few times you're going to hear that social media did a good thing. Because mm-hmm. think about it. I mean, seriously, even 1994, that we're likely this kid gets attacked, nobody hears about it, and if he does, certainly no doctors in New York City are gonna yeah. be uh, in on his case. So this right. is one of those times where social media did the good thing, did the thing that we all hope it would do, instead of just telling us we all suck and you know comments, you know, other than that. But for once, it was nice. Yes, I I agree. Something good came out of social media. Uh, These two doctors from New York, Dr. Deval Bonusel and Dr. Corey Maughan, M-A-U-G-H-A-N, not sure how really to pronounce that, who's based actually in Utah and closer to his family, but they teamed up and to make his uh, treatment um, faster so that his healing, you know, would, would take place, you know, faster and he would and he's looking great. I mean, I've, I've seen some pictures, recent pictures, and he's just looking great already. And he just seems like he's just all of the video. I, I, I got obsessed with this. Like, I, I could not believe it, this little boy and his bravery and courage. And I, so I wanted to see all the videos. And he's just like every video, he's like the hum, this little humble little guy. And he's just having fun. He's just six. Do you have any siblings? <laughs> yes. my Yeah, I have okay. siblings. Because I just know that this kid not only first of all just great human being i just mm-hmm. i couldn't like i said cried my eyes out unabashedly admitting to it when i read the story mm-hmm. i thought it was great especially like you said when he read why'd you do it well if somebody had to die i thought it should be me i was like oh my <laughs> god like how do you oh however bridger if you ever hear this 
sometime in the next year or two. You, my friend, have a card over your sister that can be played at any time. And yes. I'm talking anytime, Bridger. If I was sitting mm-hmm. in my chair and I didn't want to get a Pepsi, I would say, can you give me a Pepsi? And if she didn't say yes right away, I'd be like, I'd get up, but my face hurts. Can you oh, give me a Pepsi? Just use it. Yeah. Yes, just absolutely. At 10 years from now, you know what I would say? I'm still thirsty. I'm still <laughs> That's what <Stop> it. <laughs> I think every person out there with a brother or sister is like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. This kid, <laughs> this is bonus points. You know, it, there's nothing saying it's not getting him for the next five years. Mom, dad, you know what I'm saying? That's there you mm-hmm. go. So, I mean, God, it just, it, it is a heartwarming so, story, but oh. so is that based on the number of stitches? Because you have 90 <laughs> stitches. So is that like, like 90 favors called in or how's that work, Tom? What's the, what's the uh, conversion factor there? Well, they're in Wyoming, so he probably doesn't get as many. So I would say you have to go like a three factor. So he gets three favors for every stitch. That's what I would put <laughs> out there. But no, yeah, I, I seriously, anybody out there with a brother and sister, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Well, and everything that I'd seen about these two doctors, I mean, they're doing this all pro bono also. Yeah. So they're mm-hmm. not taking any any money or anything for this or just doing it to, to help him. So. Yeah, they weren't looking for recognition no. or publicity or anything like that. Yeah, they just want to help him. And, and rightly so. I mean, yes, I, rightly I, so. I just, anything, I, I can't imagine of all of the stories that I've done, literally jumping in front of, you know, a dog that... I, he could have, the outcome could have been so much worse. And I, I just honestly don't, I, I honestly think that in that moment, he thought that dog was going to kill his sister. And he literally just laid his life down for her. It's just amazing to me. And I'm so proud of him. And I'm proud of the doctors for just, you know, give, you know giving their little bit. But like I said, I think that they probably minimize their, their point and their effort and their um, position in the, the story. Because really, the hero and the highlight of the story is is this little boy. And can we all yeah. learn from that? Yeah. Gosh, the the willingness to lay your life down for another person. That's uh, just amazing. Yeah. No, I have 100%. Absolutely. Well, I guess that does it for this episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. I appreciate you guys so much for coming on our show. This has been so much fun. You guys are hilarious and it's just been great. This has been a great episode. We are happy to be here and we were happy to have you on our show also. So hopefully that'll be out here in you know the next few weeks sometimes. So um, you know, we're, you're more than welcome to come back anytime on our show as well. So Thank you. Yes, I had so much fun. That was great. I loved it. So nice and relaxed. It's just fun. You guys are great. Where can they find you guys? Just remind everyone where they can find. This is Ben's favorite thing to do. So I'm so <laughs> glad you asked. Just All right. I'll do our show so media thing that we normally do on our show. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast, our website, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email, if you want to talk to us, is admin at justsomepodcast.com. Wow. Yeah. I, usually my thing is to stumble through it and say the wrong thing and then correct myself. <laughs> So it's always funny because I think people think like that's a clip he edits in. I'm like, no, he does that. <laughs> and then every once in a while, live on the air, he'll just be like, hey, Tom, where can they find us? And I do, exa- I'm like, uh, places, 
<laughs> Thanks. And then I just stopped talking. So let's... <laughs> Somehow, whenever this whole thing was started, we, for whatever reason, our Facebook and Twitter accounts are GNBN Podcast and our Instagram is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. But I swear to you, for the past 100 episodes, I will, I have said the opposite of that. And I can't, and then I'll be like, Ew. and never mind, wait, go back. It's just, It's just, I think I finally caught on and stopped doing that, but that's just me. I don't even... Uh, I, th- I feel I feel like if you're listening and you've been listening the whole time, you get it. You know. Yeah. You know. You know. Yeah. I'm just, it's just me. You do I'm the thing at the place with the words and you put <laughs> right. in the thing. There you go. I think next time on our episode, Tom, I'm just going to be like, you know what? You can find us in the show notes below. Just click <laughs> down there. In there somewhere. Click. Find us there. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, you guys know you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com. That's our website that my wonderful husband, the whole entire IT department for Good Nurse Bad Nurse, very graciously and free for for free does for us. <laughs> so you can find us at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. I love to hear from you. I love to hear your stories. We're going to be doing a uh, Instagram live with Janelle at novice is, the, novice is the New Nurse. We're going to be taking over, which there was probably a little promo played at the beginning of this episode, but uh, we're going to be taking over the Instagram account for Trusted Health in a few weeks. And uh, so if you guys want to be there, it's March 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern. And both of us are going to be talking about new being a new grad and not just being necessarily a new grad, but also just being new in general and how you can kind of cope with it. We're going to be telling funny stories and things that happen to us to try to help everyone kind of um, alleviate some of the fear and anxiety that goes along with being new. It sucks. Trust me, I, I'm literally living it right now. <laughs> so not fun. But I, of course, want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse, please. <laughs>